You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's shooting at the walls of heartache. Bang, bang. He am the warrior. <laughs> it's uh, yes. Mr. Jeff McLarge. Uh, uh, thanks. <laughs> From beautiful Patty Smythe, the almost one-time member of Van Halen. Oh, my God, that's right. I forgot about that. She was going to, yeah, she was going to sing for Van Halen. One of her uh, David Lee Roth ditched. Right. And then, right, right. Uh, at whenever David Lee Roth ditched, Eddie Van Halen had actually gotten in touch with like Gene Simmons about being in Kiss. Uh, I'm sure Gene Simmons was like, mm, yeah, I'm not sure. Therefore, by yeah. the transient property, Piley Smythe was almost in Kiss. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. She, I wonder what her, I wonder what her makeup would have been like. What the makeup that she wears in the Warrior video? Ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, probably that. You don't have to yes. question. There it is. Oh no, no, there it is. I don't remember. Uh, oh, that's right. Too something for you, right? Too bad for you. That was their other oh, song. Goodbye. Oh, goodbye I'm sorry. To yes. You. Goodbye to you. Yes, that's right. God yeah. tells you how many times I listened to Scandal with Patty Smythe as a kid. Yeah, and that's so funny. It's like they were Scandal, and then all of a sudden they were Scandal featuring Patty Smythe, yeah. and then all of a sudden they were completely gone. Yeah, and. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I don't think this whole featuring Patty Smythe business was such a big deal. Do you? I don't know. They were definitely better off just to scandal. Uh, so what's up? How are you doing? How am I doing? I have not stopped sneezing for like 72 consecutive hours uh, as, oh, of, no. as of 10 minutes ago. So you you may have to edit a few of them out of this week's show. But uh, yeah, I don't know what it is that's triggered it. But man, oh man, oh man, it's been a sneeze-tastic day. I had a couple of allergy days a few days ago. I was like sneezing, but it, it, it like came and went, you know, it didn't last long. I've never had allergies bad growing up, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, maybe somewhere in the last, we'll say 15 years, I developed fall allergies. Yes. There'll be a couple of days out of the year and working at the rent fair doesn't help out either, but there'll be a couple of days out of the year where like, it's just like a faucet. My nose just, it's disgusting. I I don't like, I almost don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Me, it's a, it's a little bit of post nasal drip, but then it literally turns into like the most paralyzing sneezing fit ever. And it just keeps, keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. I think this morning I had to put my eyeballs back in my head twice. I hope I got (laughs) each one in the right hole. Mine isn't post nasal drip. Mine's like pre nasal drip. It's like, uh, <laughs> like right out the faucet. Yeah, right oh, out yeah. the nose. Like right just, out the front. Yeah, it's just constantly blowing my nose. From about August first until about uh, July 29th, I tend to uh, to use paper towels instead of tissue because. When Are you my going allergies... back in time? No, I'm going forward in time. So there's only two days a year that my allergies aren't bothering me. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I tend to use paper towels as tissues because that's the only thing that has the, the strength to be the quicker picker-upper of how much <laughs> mucus comes out of my face. <laughs> Stop blowing my nose with like a, a dish sponge. <laughs> a chamois. I just blow my, my nose with a chamois. Hey, perfect. <laughs> great idea. How about you? How are you doing? Um, Other than My sneezing. birthday's coming up. Yeah. Birthday's coming up this week, so that's cool. I'll be working, so that's also cool. This weekend in uh, Twibbly listening time is the busiest weekend of the year for me. So I will be working Friday at my normal job, Friday night at the Haunted House, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at the Ren Fair, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night at the Haunted House. Mm-hmm. And then Tuesday, I have the day off, so I'll probably just collapse. Or I might <laughs> drive up to New Hampshire and see Saw X with the co-host of Twibbly, Jeff McLarge-Huge. Seesaw X. Seesaw X, yes. <laughs> Seesaw, the motion picture. The, the most, up, yeah. There's plenty of ups Extreme and downs in that Seesaw. movie. Seesaw. <laughs> Extreme titter-totter. The, yeah. the whole film is just one guy sitting on the ground, not making it go up, and then finally leaping off to the side so the kid that's up in the air smashes down. Ugh. Seesaw. <laughs> and then there's a little guy on a tricycle. Billy! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get the show started, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Uh-oh. So at the beginning of season six, I asked you the question about what was the original name of the computer mouse, which was something completely ridiculous, the XY coordinate, whatever. Yeah, it was, it was something like the human interface, pokey. Yeah boxy thing with the button on the top times right. two so at any rate i don't really mess around with this because the default setting is perfect for me but you can go into your settings and change the speed and the reaction time yep. to which you move the mouse and the little arrow on the screen reacts to it right those settings have a name what is the name of measurement for your speed of your mouse. Ah, well, it's, uh, it'll be fun to talk about at the end of the show. Like mice per hour kind of a My, thing, yeah. Yes, how many mice per hour? Yeah, what is that unit of measurement called? Okay, well, we'll yep. talk about that at the end of the show. That's right. But this is the week beginning October the 2nd. And even though it's my birthday week, Jeff, it's your turn to start. I like it. All right, well, uh, October 2nd, 1959. The anthology TV series The Twilight Zone premieres on CBS. The show was produced by and primarily authored by a writer named Rod Serling. It had a history before The Twilight Zone making made-for-TV movies. Yeah, and up until Henry Rollins was born, had the worst eyebrows in show business. <laughs> he definitely did. Did you, uh, <laughs> did you watch The Twilight Zone in syndication? Because, I mean, that show was off the air before either of us were alive. Yeah, The Twilight Zone is one of those things that will just live on in the zeitgeist no matter what. I mean, there's people that have never seen a single episode but are very aware of The Twilight Zone. Yes. The theme song, if something weird goes on, people just start going, no, 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 no. Everybody knows what that means. Even if you don't know what that means, you kind of still do, you know? I got turned on to the Twilight Zone a little later on. 
I remember my brother used to watch it. And he used to come on in syndication like really late at night. Yes. And my brother has always had like vampire hours, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't. So I didn't really get to watch it until much later. But I do love it. It's like, you know, short science fiction stories. Yeah, they kind of lean towards horror sometimes. But it's true. Um, yeah, I like I like that short form storytelling like that. I think one of the reasons that I write it is because of my experiences of how I understood the way that the Twilight Zone stories were structured. I also watched it in syndication when it was on late at night. But I had to wait until I had cable TV because I could never get the channel that it was All on. Right. Uh, in good enough to make sense of what was being said. It was always staticky and and wiggly and terrible until we had cable TV when I was uh, 11 or 12. And then I watched every single one I possibly could. Yeah, they're all up on, or at least they were at one point, they're all up They're all on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I don't have Netflix anymore, but I do have Hulu, and I think they're available on Hulu. I wouldn't be surprised if they are or not. Right. I do like it. It is something worth to go back and watch. I actually used to listen to the Twilight Zone radio shows, which are oh. all available up on, on Spotify. Nice. I, I read a couple of the – some of the scripts that were turned into stories by Richard Matheson. I have a couple of compendiums of Twilight Zone short stories that were very good and a lot of fun to read too. Do you have a particular episode that's your favorite of the show? I was just about to say, and here comes the <laughs> twibbly, the twibbly question of the week. What is my favorite Twilight Zone episode? It might very well be the, I think it was actually the first one that I ever saw and what turned me on to it. And I'm okay. maybe, you know, say, wow, this show was awesome. There was an old woman who was terrified to leave her house. Yes. Because she was on a train and she saw death. Yeah. And death touched this person and the person died. Right. And she just stayed in her house because death wasn't going to come and get her. Right. And then there was a knock on the door and there was a guy that was like injured in an accident or something like that. He was and a he's police asking, officer. Is he that a, what it was? was yeah. A, yeah, he was a police officer who'd been shot. Right. And he asked, you know, can you, you know, bring me in? Can you take care of me? And she's explained to him, no, I can't because you might be death. But then she kind of like lets it go and she brings him in and he stays there for a while. And then at the end of the episode, he lets her know that he was death. Mm-hmm. And she was like, why didn't you just take me when you, you know, when you could have? And he goes, well, why did you let me in? It was just a really, really cool episode. That was I, uh, Robert Redford's first acting job. Was that Robert Redford? Yeah, Robert Redford played death in that, in that episode. Well, honk my hooter. No, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's cool. Yep. Before you go and tell me yours, yep. there's an episode with Jack Klugman. Before he was long, yep. before he was in the Odd Couple, where he plays a pool player. Yes, sells the soul. I can't tell you how many people have seen that episode and then message me and say that it looks like me. <laughs> Look, I didn't want to say anything, Bill, but if you put on a pork pie hat, that's, that's <laughs> pretty much you. You got to learn to play yep. pool, though. Yeah, maybe someday. What's your favorite episode? For me, my favorite episode is I probably have two, but the one that I go back to and try to watch once every year. I think the episode is called Once Upon a Midnight, and it's Art Carney is a drunk department store Santa Claus who's having yes. the worst night of his life, and he's drunk, and he's a, he's like a bum, and he gets robbed, and he gets kind of beaten up, and he finds a bag that has toys in it. It comes to light that he's been chosen to become Santa Claus. I absolutely love the storytelling in that episode. I have watched it probably 60 times now. 
I watch yeah, it every we, year in the every, in, right around Memorial Day. Right around Memorial Day. Fourth of July weekend is mine. No. Um, but I try to watch that one. Before you tell me your second choice, I'm going to hold my finger up in the air over here. Yep. Because I think I know what it's going to be, and I'll let you know if I guessed right. Tell me All what right. your second episode is. My second favorite one is called The Howling Man, and it's uh, a guy is lost in the sort of mountains in Europe somewhere. Nope. And fi- not mine. Fi- nope. Not yours. No, I was wrong. His way. Nope. Okay. I was wrong. Fi- Finds his way to a castle during this massive storm. He's allowed to stay there, but he's told that he can't. He has to leave in the morning, and he can't get anywhere near this particular room that has a cane across the door, keeping it closed. No matter what the guy behind the door says, the guy's yelling that he's being held prisoner, and he's being kidnapped, and they're going to kill him, and he has to let him out. And these monks tell him, like, no matter what you do, he's going to try to trick you. Just don't let him out. He lets him out anyway, and it turns out that that's the devil. And he has this great scene where he walks down the hallway, and goes from being like this pathetic man from a prison cell into a very stylized version of the devil as we would know him from pictures made in the 1950s and 60s. Or illustrations. Like a hot rod devil, yeah. Uh, no, no. It's more like, like the hair slicked back and the two horns and the cape and all that sort of jazz. Hot rod devil, and, yeah. Yeah, hot rod devil. So super, super, super good episode there, too. The one I thought you were going to say was the old man who just wanted to read and then like the world ends and he's like the only human survivor and he's like super happy because he's just going to live at the library and yeah. read all the books and then he drops his glasses and breaks them. Yeah, I, I like that one. <laughs> but my my problem with the storytelling in that one is like his eyes are probably just good enough that he could find his way to the remains of a drugstore and find more glasses. Yeah, yeah don't be a pain in the ass. All right, <laughs> no, I don't want to be a pain in the ass about it, but like, that's, that's something that's always bothered me. In that one. All right. Moving on to October the 3rd, we have a celebrity, quote, unquote, celebrity birthday. Uh, October the 3rd, born in 1984, Ashley Simpson. Oh, I remember. Yeah, she's going to go do a hoedown. But not the first time I've watched a a music career implode on television live. (laughs) Not the first time you saw a music career implode on Saturday Night Live. It was something else, though. Yep. When it happened. And I, the fallout was, I, I think the fallout was probably overemphasized, the badness of it. But uh, So because she's, I can't say it has been because she barely was and ever was. Right. Uh, let's just back up. So there was a pop singer in the mid-90s, Jessica Simpson. Right. And she was pushed to the moon. For the life of me, I can't remember any of her songs. But she was a contemporary of like Britney Spears and whatnot. Right. So MTV ran this like, series i forgot what it was called but it was like documenting jessica simpson's younger sister ashley simpson from day one of i want to be a music singer to recording an album and there was like episodes she's like well i'm gonna dye my hair black so i look different from my sister you know etc 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 right right so then you know she gets pushed to the moon just like her sister and she has an appearance on saturday night live yes and she wasn't singing live. There was a backing vocal track or whatever. So there's the band playing one song, and then she goes to start singing, and then just like the old Millie Vanilli scandal, another right. song comes on. Yeah. And it's so obvious that she's not singing. She's got a backing track. She just freezes like Cindy Brady staring yep. into the camera. <laughs> yes. Starts dancing like, a hoedown for whatever freaking reason and then just shuffles off the stage and the band is still playing there and they don't know what to do and the producers don't know what to do and they just like fade out and go to commercial and then for the next like 12 days that was the 
literally the headline in every newspaper, the lead story in like every news news show. Yep. And she just disappeared in a puff of hoedown. That was the end of it. It's a shame, too, because, I mean, look, both of us know that the music business is, there's a lot of talent involved in it, but there's also a lot of baloney. Yes. You know, there's a ton of baloney that's part of it. I mean, you and I both have watched videos of acts that we both like, and it is clear that they are not singing anything, right? Oh, yeah. And they're not playing guitar, anything. It sounds just like the record because it's being played off the record. Uh, yep. But, you know, you got to get people in this into the clubs. You got to get people in the audience to come along, and that's how you kind of do it. So the fact that, she, you know, she could record in a studio but maybe didn't have the chops to do it live, hey, you know, if you use a backing track, whatever, I, I don't care. I just wanted to hear the song. And right. I never got to because she did a hoedown dance and walked off stage. And then she right. vanished. And also... It's pop music. Yeah. Pop music is not made, you know, to speak to the person's inner soul. It's right. meant to get in and out and out of there, make some money. Oh, yeah. It's that's it. It's yep. not made to have a long shelf life. No. So I don't know what kind of perfection they were looking for, but my God, she got raked through the coals. She did. Poor thing. Who knows? She could have put out a second record that was like fantastic. But yeah. Who knows if she could have put out a first record that was fantastic. I can't name any of her songs no, or her I. sister. No. Nope. Either one. I can't I can't think of either thing. I watched the same thing sort of happen to Lindsay Lohan too. She put a record together like when Herbie I don't know, Herbie Needs an Oil Change came out. I can't remember what the name of that movie was. Um, Reloaded. Herbie, yeah, Herbie. That doesn't make any sense because it's a car Fully not loaded. a gun. Fully Is loaded. that what it was? That still doesn't make much sense. But Herbie, uh, Fully Loaded, came out. She recorded a pop album, and she was playing live on, like, uh, one of the morning shows. And yeah. it was the same thing. She did the Sidney Brady thing. The band kind of started playing, and she just stared out at the camera as her voice was coming out of the speakers. And <laughs> she couldn't she like couldn't pick it up and keep up with it. And then you never saw her sing again. There was never any mention of her record again. It was, But it's not a bad record. She's fine in the studio. She had a nice voice. I mean, it's a little reedy, but... You know, there's plenty of room there for growth. That was literally not the worst thing that ever happened to Lindsay Lohan, but that's a story for another show. All right, let's move on to the fourth. October 4th, 1998, a Van Gogh exhibit, probably the largest Van Gogh exhibit in the United States, opens in Washington, D.C., and it features 70 of the painter's paintings. Wow. Big amount. Yeah, it's a ton of paintings for, for Van Gogh. Yeah. I didn't even realize he had that many. That's that's pretty prolific for somebody that, to the best of my knowledge, you know, couldn't get himself arrested when. It, well, he did get himself arrested, but I mean, <laughs> figuratively speaking, couldn't get yes. himself arrested when he was alive. Yeah, I couldn't sell paintings when he was alive. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever see a Van Gogh in person? You know, I might have, but I can't be certain. I've been to the Museum of Fine Arts a few times, and I've been more than a few times, and I've been to the Courier Museum here in New Hampshire a bunch of times. But I can't remember if in the, the two collections of contemporary art that I've seen there, if I've seen a Van Gogh. I probably have, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm usually drawn to more paintings like John Singer Sargent um, I than saw, I am of his. So. I saw three Van Gogh paintings at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And one of them was Starry Night. I got to see Starry oh, Night nice. like yeah, in person. You know, that thing is worth several million dollars. Yes. So it was kind of cool to be up next to something that's 
that valuable, you know? Right. If you get up close to it, you know, and kind of like lean your head like towards the wall, you can see like how crinkly that paint is. Yeah. The, the paint is like super thick. He used to paint with a palette knife, yeah. not brushes, yeah, yeah. right? So the paint is like super thick. And you know that if you could get to it, you could like get like a if you took like a toothpick and poked into it, there would still be wet paint underneath. <laughs> That's how thick it is, you know. That, yeah, that is very thick. And something else that happens when you get that close to a, a painting, you notice a bunch of security guards coming over and grabbing you by the arm. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that 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 happens. It's almost like a feature of the painting. And pulling you away from the painting. Yes. Yes. Because, uh, so, yeah, I just looked it up. It's worth a little bit more than I thought it was. Oh. It is worth currently, as of this recording, $111 million. It's a lot. It's a lot of money for painting. Yeah. One-eighth of a billion. Yeah. Did you go to any of the – they did that touring show where you could be – it's like the three-dimensional experience where they sort of project the painting down into a big room. No, I did not. I they, wanted to. I they, definitely wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to go to it too, and I wasn't able to get there. But if it comes around again, I'm going to try and go. Uh, when it comes around again, your buddy Bill will call because I, I will go with. Definitely uh, will. It's funny, you know, in some of the circles that I travel, people were like, ugh, you know, it's such a kitschy way to enjoy art. And I thought like, like, what the hell does that even mean? Like, shouldn't you be enjoying art anyway? It doesn't matter what yeah. the medium is. Like, if it brings more people to the museum, hey, you know. What, what are you going to do? Stay home and not enjoy art? Yeah, I all? understand. Like, it's, <laughs> if, the only way that, if the only way that you really sort of can soak in, like, Van Gogh's paintings is to feel like you're in one, then you, that's great. We have a, a phrase for people like that. They hate fun. <laughs> yep. Enjoy vampires. All right. <laughs> all right. Moving on to October the 5th. Oh, dear. Another celebrity birthday. Must be my thing again this week. <laughs> it must uh, be. October the 5th, 1922. American cartoonist and idiot who spells his name wrong, Bill Keen, <laughs> who spells his name B-I-L, like a Whoa. schmuck. Bill with one L and Keen with three E's. I always appreciated Bill Keen. I loved the Family Circus yeah, he- cartoon. Did I mention that? Yeah, he did the uh, the cartoon Family Circus in the in the newspaper comic section, right? That was one of the first comic strips that I read every single day as a child, uh-huh. and had like the little booklet you could get at the school book fair filled with car- comics. It was pretty easy. The daily comic was one panel; it was a right. single panel. I think were the Sunday ones different? Were they were the Sunday Sun- ones? Sunday ones were generally one panel, but sometimes they were much larger, and they did uh, like a story with a walking path. That was part yes. of the this, that was like part oh, of the storytelling. Right, right, yeah, that's but right. Most, it wasn't mostly, a, they were single panel. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a round single panel. It was right. A, yeah, it was a larger single. I always thought that he could do in a simple drawing, relatively simple drawing, with a relatively simple amount of dialogue, draw the differences or show the differences between the child characters really really well so that you could identify like their personalities and what they were like if they weren't in the strip or whatever just based on a single panel and text box underneath it it was it's amazingly good amazingly good art for that yeah and you really kind of got to know the characters there was billy was the son there was a younger brother jeffrey yep jeff jeff or jeff hey it's me and you that's right that's right yeah (laughs) don't call me jeffrey 
My mom will murder you if you call me Jeffy. Yeah. And you've seen uh, my mom. She's pretty spry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, don't worry. I'll murder your mom if she calls me Billy. So there. (laughs) There was a daughter too. What was her name? Oh my God. If it was Meg, that'd be great. No, it's not though. It is Dolly and PJ are the other two kids. Oh, you had four kids? For some reason, I always thought there was three. All right. Yeah, there's four. There's PJ was like a baby. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at him now. All right. So yeah, Billy, Jeffy, (laughs) (laughs) Dolly and PJ. Yep. They did a, a parody of the Family Circus in Mad Magazine one time. That's right. It was like really dark, not family oriented at all. It was dark and, and horrible. It was funny. It was called the Dysfunctional Family Circus. That was it. The one comic that I remember, the one panel comic that I remember from that one yeah. was Jeffy and Dolly looking at their mom who was whose head was like sticking out from behind the wall so they couldn't yeah. see her whole body. But the cable TV guy was on top of her. <laughs> and Dolly goes, what is he, what is, what is mommy doing with the cable TV guy? And Jeffy says, like, he's, he, she's getting us free cable for the year. <laughs> Which I thought was incredibly funny when I was like 13. Yeah, because the actual family circus had like, I don't want to say ties, but tendrils to the Catholic Church. Yeah. It was subtly Christian or subtly Catholic. Yeah. What was funny was like the dysfunction and the dysfunctional family circus. The, like yeah. the following week, or I can't remember if it was the following week or two weeks later, but Mad Magazine used to do letters to the editor. Yep. And in the letters to the editor, they did they got one from Bill Keen talking about how funny it was that, that they did that. The only problem that they had was they spelled his name wrong because they did two L's in the bill, and I think they did two N's in Keen uh-huh. uh, in the Dysfunctional Family Circus artist name. And it was wicked, it was wicked funny and good natured that he played along with it so well and thought, you know. I always thought that was a great way to approach that kind of parody. Good, wholesome fun. Yes. So moving on to the 6th. October 6th, 2015, Rock Band 4 is released for PlayStation. PlayStation, it must be PlayStation 2 or PlayStation 3. Yeah, and Xbox, yeah. And Xbox. Uh, Rock Band 4 was the last, I think the final version, full version of that game. Mm -hmm. And by then, the user base had started to dwindle. And sort of drop off. I don't remember was, what song it, sets were on that one, even. You know what? I have it, and I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> the only song, the only song that I can remember that was on Rock Band Four was "Outfield." There, Josie's on a vacation far away. Yep. Whatever the name of that song is. Yeah, that's, that's that, might as well. That's good enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was like a good three, four dozen songs on there, but that's the only one I can remember. So that franchise came out. It started out with Guitar Hero. Yes. So that was Guitar Hero, and then, you know, that that was okay. Then Guitar Hero 2 came out. Yep. And then the company that made that kind of, like, split off. Yes. And that's when Rock Band franchise came out. I, I think what happened was Activision bought the company that made Guitar Hero, and a bunch of developers jumped ship and started their own company. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they were from Boston. Yeah. They were from Boston because if you remember, if you had the Rock Band games, there was like, after you got done with the game proper, there was like a lot of bonus tracks. And it was all like unsigned bands and stuff like that. And one of them on there, there was a band called, and this is one of the greatest band names ever, The Giant. (laughs) And and the name of the song was F the Kells or F the Kells. Right, right. uh, Obviously censored on the game. Now... 
The name of the singer, her name is Helen, right? I don't remember yep. her last name. I'm sure it's a stage name, like Helen Back or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I remember whenever Rock Band came out watching G4, the video game television show there, the yes. television station. Yep. And they had a bunch of the developers on there, and Helen was out there singing. Fast forward several years later, I thought Vagiant was awesome. I bought the album, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm over there in Boston at the a thing called the Feast of the Flesh, which was yep. like a, they would have a burlesque show, a zombie movie, and a band, not necessarily in that order. Right. And the band one year was Vagiant. Oh, nice. And I'm looking at the stage, and it's the girl from G4 up there singing. She was the singer for Vagiant. Huh. And I went, I went and I hugged her afterwards, and I was telling her all about how much I love the, the, the game, and I love her band and all that stuff. So, yeah, I get to meet her. She was really cool. Oh, that's great. I started playing those with Guitar Hero 2, I think. I'm pretty sure it was Guitar yeah. Hero 2. And I never yeah, that played. Was, I didn't. I think I only that was played the Rock Band. At, yeah, I think I only played Rock Band at your house, uh-huh. uh, a couple of times. But by then, like it was, I you know I had kids and stuff going on, and it was hard to do. When Guitar Hero Three came out, that was the first one that Activision produced. Yeah, I, I was turned off to the game because they made these stupid boss battles as part of it. Where right, if yeah. you had to like hit a key combination, and then if I'm playing guitar with slash slashes scales go upside down or he could do the same thing to me it's like i don't want to do that man i just want to play sweet child of mine why like why are you trying to f up <laughs> my my solo slash and then at that point I, I lost interest in him the market really 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 got oversaturated with it i mean there was so many versions it was four versions of rock band like one two three and four plus there was rock band beatles so there was actually five versions right. of rock band right right guitar hero I don't know. I don't think I have that many hands. Um, you know, there was Guitar Hero 1, 2, 3. Then there was the one that was all Metallica, all Green Day, all Van Halen. Right. They had one that was all 80s songs. There was yeah, so, so, so many of it. What ultimately killed it was just the oversaturation of the market and the fact that when you get to the end of the day... Oh, I forgot one more. There was Rock Band Blitz, too. Uh, when you get to the end of the day... It's basically the same game over and over and over again. So you got about 10 years worth of the same exact game over and over. I mean, it just, it ran its course. I remember when I stopped selling it. Like, for real, I would go to the store and be like, oh, I started to see all the peripherals in, like, the used game stores. Yeah. And it'd be like, oh, there's like 12 drum sets in here. These things were super expensive. And now it's like $8, (laughs) you know. And it's too bad because the games, you know, the idea of the game was really fun. And it was super duper immersive. I can remember the hours and hours and hours I spent playing at least Rock Band 2. I mean, uh, yep. the Guitar Hero 2. Yep. Those were fun days. That was, you know, people come over the house, everybody grabs an instrument, and people that couldn't play instruments would grab the microphone or whatever. I remember my friend brought over uh, Rock Band Beatles to one of my other friend's house. And Rock Band Beatles was the first one where you could do harmonies with yep. like multiple microphones. Yes. And I was just, I like left the room and I'm in the kitchen and my friend that was also in the kitchen, he's like, what's wrong? I go, I hate everything going on in that room right now because some people can sing (laughs) harmonies and some people cannot. And the people that cannot, that didn't stop them from trying. All right. Let's see. I got October the 7th, 1967. 
Speaking of the Beatles, Jeff. <laughs> yep. Uh, so October the 7th, 1967, the Beatles turned down $1 million offered yep. by Sid Bernstein for a return performance at Shea Stadium in New York City. That's $1 million in 1967 money, which yeah. is probably, you could probably buy you a, a Van Gogh or two now. <laughs> I think it'd probably buy you a Van Gogh Island at this point. Yeah. But um, yes, that they turned out a million bucks in 67. And that was like, what, one year after they stopped touring, one year after the Shea Stadium show? That was 66? Yeah, I forget if that was 65 or 66, but yeah, we'll, we'll call it a year. And after the Beatles broke up, they got offered money the same way to reunite and play like live dates or play on TV or raise money for charity, etc. Yeah. They always turned it down. There's one funny story is like in the 1970s when they were being asked, they were being offered like $50 million to reunite and do a, a charity concert where all the proceeds would go to, I don't even know what, some charity. And Lorne Michaels from Saturday Night Live offered $3,000. For the being of the Beatles to reunite <laughs> on Saturday Night Live and play three songs, so it would have been the first year of the sa- of Saturday Night Live, so seventy-five. He offered them three thousand dollars to come and play three songs, and it's really funny. I think you can still find the clip of him making the offer. And that's he says, funny. You know, you come on and you do, you know, any three songs you want. You do. He loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thousand dollars right there. <laughs> Take it and go. And Not even three thousand dollars each. Three thousand dollars. You guys gonna split up? Three thousand dollars. You guys gotta split. And what happened was, um, I guess a couple of weeks of this went by, and they did it as a running gag. And then Eric Idle showed up dressed up like one of the Beatles and said that he was in the prefab for called the Ruddles, and they would play three songs for $300. And then they showed a <laughs> clip of the Ruddles from Rutland Television in Britain, and all of a sudden Saturday Night Live got a ton of letters saying that they wanted to see more of the Ruddles, and that's how the, the movie ended up coming to be was because of that. Huh. But... Yeah, Beatles never took anybody up on that offer. You know who actually almost got the Beatles to reunite, so to speak? Whenever Kiss did their solo album, Monstrosity, there in the late 70s, there, 78, Gene Simmons wanted everybody to come in to do, like help him with his solo album. And he tried getting Paul McCartney and John Lennon to come in and to do background vocals. And they're like, yeah, you... Even you can't afford that, right? <laughs> so he ended up getting the guys from Beatlemania instead, which is hilarious. Yes. That's like Wish.com level. It definitely Wish.com stuff, yeah. Beatles. Well, Beatlemania was like a huge Broadway production, right? That one yeah. that toured all over the place for a long, like all through the 70s. I remember seeing the ads on TV forever. Yeah. You know what else I remember seeing? The cast of Beatlemania playing at the New Bedford Whaling City Festival. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is funnier if you've lived here. Uh, <laughs> the listeners outside of this area probably won't find that hilarious, but trust me, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder if they came on before or after Johnny Pawalczyk and his swinging organ. <laughs> I mean, there's only Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr that are left. I mean, well, there's only Ringo Starr left, really, now. <laughs> so... I mean, much like the Led Zeppelin reunion, I think the Beatles reunion that everybody wanted, you know, sometimes it's better just to not, Yeah. you know, leave yep. the mystique where it is. The, the mystique outweighs the the reunion, the, yep. you know, for sure. I agree. I'm right there with you. All right. Let's wrap up the week. October the 8th, the best day in the world. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Happy birthday, Bill, by the way. Thank you. Uh, October the 8th, 
Sweet 16 and never been kissed. All right. October the 8th, 1950, a man even older than you, uh, Robert Cool with a K Bell, the lead singer and founder of Cool and the Gang. Oh, a wow. Stupendous. I share my lead. birthday with one of the guys from Cool and the Gang? He's definitely with the leader of Cool and the Gang. A, uh, I'm not going to call awesome. them underrated because they had a zillion million hit songs, but they are yeah. a fantastic band from the early 1970s oh. all the way through early 1980s. They were insanely popular during the 70s. They kind of got wiped out by the rocket ship there, uh, MTV, but they were still super popular, you know, probably until the mid 80s, but you wouldn't know it because MTV were kind of bastards when they first got started because they wouldn't show black artists, uh, not, right. until, not until Michael Jackson's label threatened them. Right, right. So you didn't see, you know, music videos from like Cool and the Gang. Nope. I remember whenever I first got my Roku TV, there was a 80s video channel. So I would let that run while I was cleaning my house and stuff. And the video for Celebration, you know, the seminal Cool and the Gang song comes on. And I was like, what? And it's not like a performance. It was a music video that was shot. I was like, there was a music video for this song? And then I remembered, yeah. There was a music video, but MTV wouldn't show it because they were a bunch of bastards. Right? It's a shame, too, because they are fantastic. Do you have a favorite Cool and Gang song? It definitely isn't Celebration, that's for sure. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Admit, admittedly, uh, that one's a lot oversaturated. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's the, the problem with Celebration is that it's like the first song you would hear at any wedding or Christmas party you went to from a, you know in a certain time frame. You still you hear know, it. It's, like, it's still the first yeah. song you hear. I'm not going to... All right, man. I've been to those. It's, they're, they're, it's still out there. Like a big yep. shark circling the <laughs> reception. Hooper drives the boat! Right, right. Probably my favorite song is going to be Jungle Boogie. Yeah, a great tune. One, because it's awesome. And also, too, I was just recently playing one of the newer Little Big Planet games. Yes. And some they have a lot of licensed music in those games, in that right. particular game, right? And sometimes the levels, like the levels itself, will dance to the beat of the song. And that was like the only instance I ever liked the song Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars. Right, right. But it's awesome because the, the level is dancing to the song. But right. there's another one where it's Jungle Boogie. And like all the vil- the you know the enemies that you have to jump on, they're like dancing to the beat and the horns of Jungle yep. Boogie. It's so freaking amazing. Nice. All right. So, do you have a favorite? <laughs> do you have a favorite Cool in the Gang song? Uh, I'm gonna have to jump on the Jungle Boogie bandwagon with you. Certainly the best song on the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Yeah. If you ask me, it's the one that I that I hear most often on the radio, which uh-huh. doesn't surprise me that much. But uh, it's it's a song that has a lot more longevity than you think that something called Jungle Boogie would. I have such a great, great memory, though, with the song Ladies Night. Yep. Right? There was a night we were out at the uh, at the bar in the, in the, that we sang out in the 90s. And there was one night there was, like, so many leftover 80s rock guys there, you know, just like the ones that wouldn't let the glam metal days go, you know? Yep. And my friend Rich starts singing. He goes, oh, yes, it's 80s night. <laughs> and the jeans are white. Oh, yes, it's 80s night. Oh, what a night. <laughs> All right. So before we go on to the worst song ever, which is definitely not by Cole and the Gang, 
Uh, we do have our weird holiday for the week. On October the 4th, we are going to celebrate Frap Day. Or, depending on where in the world you are, Frappe Day. Mm. And, depending on if you're in New England or not, Fist Fight Day. If you argue, the, uh, <laughs> there's no difference between a frap and a milkshake. There certainly is, and I don't know what it is. A uh, frap has ice cream in it, and a milkshake doesn't. Oh, okay. There's your, there's your difference. So, yep. a milkshake has malt powder and milk and syrup, and a frap has a little bit of malt powder, sometimes ice cream, milk, and uh, syrup. So okay. That's, the, that's so, the big difference. What was your favorite frap? Would you say the awful, awful from Newport Creamery? That was, yeah, that was, no, I liked, well, I was more, I was more likely to get a fribble because it was a friendlies near my house when I was a kid. Yep. But the awful, awful always had, seemed to have a richer flavor. I, they might have used more cream as opposed to just ice milk in it. Um, and the so, chocolate flavored was my favorite. Whenever I was a kid, if I had to get a filling at the dentist, my mother would take me to friendlies to get a fribble afterwards. Mm-hmm. You can't really eat a lot whenever you have. Uh, although they tell you not to do it, get anything cold, but whatever. Right. My mom, my mom didn't live by the rules. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like the awful, awful because you could get it with the malt powder, and that was right. the way to go. Right, right. Hey, you know what else is awful, awful? Uh huh. <laughs> the worst song ever. All right, so this week's worst song ever is a listener submission. Yay! Comes in from yay. We we love doing these. Uh, comes in from a listener named Allison from Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and she wanted us to feature "How Bizarre" oh. by OMC. Ah, uh, the Otaro Millionaires Club. I remember. Yeah. That. All right. Uh, before we get into the breakdown, let's just play the clip and get it out of the way. Sweet singers in the front. Cruising down the freeway in the hot, hot sun Suddenly red blue lights flash us from behind Loud voice booming, please step out onto the line Ballet bridge words of comfort, seen it just hides her eyes Policeman taps the shades and sell a Chevy 69 How bizarre How bizarre, how bizarre This song will live in my brain for... Probably until next episode. <laughs> Holy cow. You can't get this song out. No, it's super catchy. It's catchy like the influenza virus. It's uh, Once you hear it, you'll just be going, how bizarre, how bizarre, for two yep. or three hours at a time. Yep, so this is by OMC, or the Otower Millionaires Club, which isn't really that funny to me until I read about it, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Otara is in the section of New Zealand called Auckland. Right. And that's like really, really poor. That's like a really horrible neighborhood. So there's really no millionaires over in Otara. So the Otara Millionaires Club is actually pretty funny. There's nobody in it. That's the problem. Right? <laughs> there was one person in it. <laughs> Pauli Wamana, I guess that's how you say his last name. Yeah, I think So that's he was right. the guy that sang it. Uh, how Bizarre did some serious business. It did. It went to number one in New Zealand. It went to number one in the UK. It went to like number five here in the United States. It sold a ton of records. Burned up the pop charts for a really short time. It's almost a novelty song. I'd argue that it kind of is a novelty song. It totally is a novelty song. Except he had other songs that were bigger hits in other countries after this one. But here in the States, man, this thing was, this was the only one. Yeah. They start out, it was like him and his brother 
So this guy, Paulie Formana, and his brother, Phil. So I guess yep. it's one of those families where everybody starts with a P. They started, and they were playing like pretty much like standard whatever rap music was kind of popular at that time in the early 90s. And what's funny about that section of New Zealand is they actually had some American gang exports. Yep. So, like, there were Bloods and Crips represented over in New Zealand, which is hard for me to get my head around. Right. But there they were. So they used to do these, like, shows, and, like, gang warfare would break out the shows. OMC, well, at the time, they were just the Atara Millionaire Club. They, like... Changed their name just down to OMC and then changed their genre, you know, to what we're more familiar with. You know, borderline mariachi sound that they have. <laughs> I like the sound. This song reminds me of, of roller skating because that's where I heard the song the most in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Uh, for me, it reminds me of uh, whatever I used to go out to the clubs in the 90s. And this, if I, I'm not even looking. I'm just guessing. I'm going to guess this song came out about 1995. Like right in the middle, like dead center of the 90s. Because this is that time where everything that was, and I brought this point up before too, everything that was weird and quirky, they just like pushed it right out in front. And this song is weird and quirky. It follows the long list of, of uh, very popular bands that came out of New Zealand, of which there are two. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess New Zealand isn't a big exporter of pop music, just maybe because of its size or its location to the east of Australia. But for a band to sort of crack out of that mountainous terrain and it not be about hobbits is pretty cool. Yeah. The, the other sort of New Zealand famous bands are Gail something who sang We Sing in the Sunshine in the 1960s. Remember that song? We'll sing nope. in the sunshine. You don't know that? Okay. Well, you can nope. you can listen to it on YouTube, and then I'd rather not. <laughs> and then the the split end slash crowded house bands, both run by the Finn brothers. Yeah, they're and, basically the same band, and right? That's it. And then OMC, yep. Phil and Pauly, they you know they uh, they hook up with this other guy who was like a, a record producer, and he used to do like club shows and stuff like that. Over the course of four hours, they wrote eight songs. Yep. Which, you know, for somebody that's played in a band, that's cranking. I don't even think the Ramones spit out songs that fast, you right. know? Out of those eight songs, at least one of them was How Bizarre. Right. This is a, another case of, you know, kind of like TLC. The That's not the only thing that they have in common with TLC is, the, you know, the three-letter name of the band. Is the record company just like... Said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, we'll 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 take you. We'll put out your record. We'll keep ninety eight percent of your money, right? And then tax the other two percent. You know, with all the 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 listens that this thing generated, it actually didn't even get into the Billboard Hot one hundred in right. America because they never released it as a single in America. Right. It got tons of airplay, Right. but you couldn't buy it. You had to wait until the album came out. Yeah, and you could only hear it on the radio. Right. Right. Yeah, which, you know, says a lot for streaming services now. Right. You know, music different, you know, was way different. Once the record company got in, you know, their, their hooks in them, they wanted Polly to record a cover version of Randy Newman's I Love L.A., and it was for a movie soundtrack. I don't remember right. which one it was. 
that uh, that song tanked. That that sold like two copies. And right. His mother got one of them. Yeah. That, they used to, that song was in such heavy rotation on MTV for like six months. It used to make me mental. You know what really drives me nuts about this song is this is in the same category as Alanis Morissette's <laughs> Ironic. Yep. And Smash Mouth's All Star. Mm-hmm. People that have absolutely no sense of humor whatsoever will interrupt your conversation to make a bad joke. That was the thing with this song. If you brought up anything that was weird, somebody would go, oh, how bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. Yeah. Just like if if you said something was ironic, somebody would ultimately go, don't you think? You know? (laughs) Or the worst, the biggest sin of them all is if you happen to mention the band The Who, like, oh, my favorite song by The Who is You Better You Bet. And somebody who's going to, you know, somebody who thinks they're hilarious will go, who? Shut the f*** up. (laughs) I sort of like the song in that thinking of Ironic and thinking of All Star. Like, both of those songs have personalized lyrics. They're songs about a person who has feelings. And this song, Uh it doesn't. It's just a guy going places. It's like that Crash Test Dummy song. Only, it's just... He's driving his car. He gets pulled over by a cop. The cop wants to know if the car is a 64. That's that's how the song starts, and it never gets any more personal than that. And it's, yeah, really, it's really funny that the song came out in 95, and that's right as the grunge explosion is just at its apex. So everything yeah. that's on pop music is either hip-hop or it's detuned and super depressing and everybody wants to sound like Nirvana. And then this dumb song is completely different than both of those. Yeah, with mariachi horns, and, right? Yeah, yeah, and just fits in there like this beautiful counterpoint to all of the gloom on one side and the the urban stuff on the other. <laughs> I always liked it for that. It always it's like it doesn't fit, but it glows. That's that's sort of my, uh, my take on this song. Are those mariachi horns? How bizarre. (laughs) All right. uh, Before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hey. If you are going to adjust the speed of your mouse arrow, uh, mouse to arrow ratio movement on your computer, uh, those measurements of speed from slow to fast, they have a name for that unit of measurement. How many units of measurements, what are those called with the, for the speed of your mouse? I'm pretty sure that those units of measurement are known as DPI or dots per inch. Throwback <laughs> to the old CRT monitors. Nope. Oh, those, all right. Those speeds are measured in, are you ready for this? This sure. is so horrible. They're measured in Mickey's. Mickey's. Get it? Mickey? Like Mickey Mouse? Oh, jeez. No, yeah. I've never heard that before in my life. Yeah, I was looking up trivia questions today. I saw that one. I was like, that is spectacularly horrible. I'm using it. We're going to have a new segment next week. The worst trivia question <laughs> ever. That one was rough. I, I think I should get a point on that one just for how bad that one was. <laughs> you get a point for having to put up with it. Right. Yes. All right. So that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here next week with uh, a better trivia question. I promise. All right. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, or this week was way better than last year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram or the hot new social media app that I just made up called Spackler. That's group with two O's and two P's by looking for Twibbly. Don't forget to like and subscribe. 
And also, don't sell all your stuff and climb to the top of a mountain waiting for the end of the world. I mean, the numbers add up and all, but we'd never tell you to do that.